Welcome to the Fifth Estate. They bring you the story. We bring you the truth. The Fifth Estate is the news behind the headlines, holding those in power in check. And now, with the real story, here's Cameron Blewett. Good evening, Victoria. Thank you for joining me here on this another episode of the Fifth Estate Podcast. On this episode, we've got longtime listener, second time caller, Mr. Frank Castle, joining us from what is it, balmy, stinky Queensland? How are you, Mr. Castle? <laughs> Good, thanks, Cameron. Yeah, balm, balmy it is, mate. The sun, the sun is shining. The rain has gone away for for God knows how long. And uh, yeah, it's hot as up here, mate. Hot oh, as. Well, I think we're hitting the. Um, supposedly, we're getting the rain bombs, and it's just going to be a crappy weekend down here for us in uh danistan danistan uh, yes so um oh mate i i think we'll leave the, the political rants for later on but um oh, mate we could we could talk for days on that we days. could a uh, couple of things i think i might start off having a having a chat about um you know as you know certain uh, previous industries are uh, we you know still Dabbling and all that sort of stuff. I'd you know, like to have a chat to you about some of the things that came out in uh, Annals' uh, first budget. Um, yeah, sure. In particular, uh, two things. First of all, we'll, we'll you know we'll want to talk about the uh, what is it? Legislated ten days uh, domestic violence leave uh, each oh, year, yeah. um, yep. supposedly after historic new laws have been passed. And then I think we'll um, have a bit of a chat about the industry-wide bargaining that, that's going to be coming. Under that, yeah, so sure. we'll yeah, all right, we'll we'll kick it off with the domestic violence leave. Now, my thoughts are, I think that this is a bad move. Uh, what this does is it um, makes incompetent managers even more incompetent. It gives them an excuse to not engage with their workforce, which is what uh, third party um, organisations like to use to, uh, you know, pick little holes and pull on little bits of thread uh, to <laughs> push push brothers. their campaigns. Yep. Um, you know, for that, and you know, I, you know, it, it's a thing. Yes, I understand there is a need for that, though. I haven't found any mention in the Fair Work Act, uh, any uh, enterprise agreement, or any award that says uh, the employee has a maximum of ten days personal um, or personal carers leave per year. Uh, it's my view that, and I know a lot of other um, some businesses do it that. Uh, you know, staff have an unlimited. Uh, they do have an unlimited amount uh, after the legislated ten. It's up to the company's discretion. Uh, yep. I think that we should be pushing that more rather yep. than having uh, legislated ten days, because and not wanting to point the finger at everyone. Uh, though we do know with the way things are at the moment, the personal carers leave is open to exploitation as well. And my concern is is that uh, let's say, you know, this is passed now, let's say it comes into effect 1st of uh, January next year, we've got, what, two years, three years, let's say three years before the next election. Uh, if it's rorted uh, over the next three years and uh, the Labor Party is not su- not successful in holding government, then when a Liberal Party government comes in or, you know, coalition or, or uh, whatever it is, if they're getting yep. pressure from the business groups to say, hey, listen, we're being rorted here, you know, we never signed up for employees to have 20 days off. We're getting employees who want 20 days off a year and all that sort of stuff. So I have a feeling that it's going to be wound back uh, and a case is going to be put forward that it's costing businesses money and, and all that sort of stuff. So 
now that I've had that spiel, what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, I, I, I'd have to um, I'd have to agree with you to a point. I mean, there's already there's already mechanisms within the act, um, you know, for employees uh, to have sufficient leave um, for those types of of um, personal issues. Um, I think you are fully correct. I think you are fully correct in terms of of, of the rorting. Uh, there's, but there's always going to be, um, you know, rorting of any type of leave. You know, sick, personal, carers. You know, the annual leave. You know, whatever the case may be. I think there's always going to be um, a portion of, of rorting going on there. I mean, the biggest thing from my perspective uh, with it is though, is where does the accountability on the employer's side? And, you know, begin and end. I mean, you know, if you've got an employee that comes up to you and says, you know, hey, I need to access, you know, five days um, domestic violence leave, you know, where, you know, the employer goes, oh, okay, well, you know, what's happening? What's going on? The employee, the employee doesn't want to doesn't want to talk about that and, you know, doesn't have to talk about that. So the employer goes, okay, well, can you provide, you know, have you accessed ABO? Like, have, have, do you have one of those? Can I, could I have a copy of that, you know, for our records? So, you know, so I'm covered to make sure that you are actually accessing the leave for what it's actually, um, you know, what it's actually for. And the employer, go, employer goes, well, no, you can't have a copy of that. That's personal, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, okay, at that particular point, does the employer believe the employee that they need access to that leave or does the employer go, no, I don't believe you, um, you're not having access to the leave and then, you know, that employee walks out and the next day something, you know, sickeningly terrible happens to them. Where was the, you know, who's, who's accountable for that? Is it the employee that wouldn't provide the employer with the, with the level of um, evidence or is it the employer who's who's responsible? Like the grey area in terms of how it's actually applied in the workplace is what is going to create the biggest issue for employers and employees. Like if an, if an employee is actually rorting the system, as you said, and, then that, and another employee, employee comes along who actually really does need to access that leave, it's like the boy who cried wolf. If the employer has been has been rorted on so many occasions in the past and an employee walks in who actually desperately needs that type of leave and that type of support from the employer, the employer is likely to go, you know what, the six people that came before you did me over, cost me thousands, lied to me basically, so no, I'm not going to give it to you. Hmm. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's it's a double-edged sword, and it's a and it's a double-edged sword for both the employee and the employer because there's just no there's no clarification or there's nothing actually in it to state where these lines are, where the, where are the lines in the scene, and what does the what level of evidence does the employee have to provide the employer? What level of support does the employer need to provide the employee? Because you know, there's you've, you've got health and safety issues that come into that come into play there. You know, if if there's a um, an employee who's being um, you know harassed or bashed or whatever by a partner, what happens when that partner turns up? Well, if they're you know when they're, they're when they're leaving the business, so they get confronted out in the car park. Is it the employer's responsibility? Isn't it? You know, there's just there's just way too much complexity and grey area in it for both sides. And in all honesty, employees need to be asking the question: What exactly do I need to do? Exactly what do I need to do to to, to access this leave? 
Equally, they should be standing next to the employers asking who are asking the same question. What exactly is where does my responsibility end and theirs start? What do I need to ask them for? What can I ask them for? Where you know where does my where does my responsibility end? It's just it's, there's just way too much unknown in it, and it is going to it is going to bite both employees and employers in the ass. And, Big time. Uh, yep, and, and that's the thing. Okay, so let's say there's a husband and wife working in the same business. Okay, um, and let's mm. say uh, that the, uh, the the wife is a, a bit aggressive, and that the husband needs to access this this leave. Does the husband go to HR and say, "Hey, listen, you know, she's touching me up at home. I need to get out of there." Uh, is HR going to believe it? Um, what information do they need? Does it go on their record? Do they have to provide? You know, let's say. Yeah. Let's say, for argument's sake, they have got a, a police report and so they get the crime number or the crypt number or whatever um, numbers that uh, is used. Yeah. That goes onto their personnel file. Let's say the wife is friendly with someone on HR. Oh, where's Joe been? Oh, hang on. Oh, hang on. Let's have a look. Oh, he's accessed domestic violence leave. And then she's aware of it. Oh, my God, yep. you've brought that to the workplace. Goes up and touches him up more. So, and uh, then, Yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's a thing. So, but then... On the other side of it, I mean, where, what happens to personal responsibility? At what point does the employer say, "Hey, hang on, that's your life"? You know, w- you know, we're not allowed to control what you do after hours. Yes, to a certain extent, if it's disparaging to the business, you can, can control what they do on social media. We can't yep. control who you see outside of work. We can't control what you do outside of work. Why yep. should we be responsible for you know? Um, and let's say very broad terms, a situation that you've got yourself into um, yeah. for that. So I don't Look know. All, I mean, you know, everybody's everybody's proclaiming it to be a you know a massive step in the right direction, et cetera, et cetera. And and look, I, I totally agree. Like I, I understand, I understand the concept of it. I'm in 100 percent full um, full support of it. It's just the way it's the way the legislation is written and the way it's they think it can be applied in the workplace is just an absolute dog's breakfast it's just plain plain and simple i mean what they should be should have done is gone you know what in in, don't call it domestic violence leave don't put it actually in as specifically as domestic violence leave let's do something around the parental you know care leave or special let's call it special leave or or something like that and give them an extra an extra few days because look realistically in a domestic violence situation it takes a hell of a lot longer than 10 days yeah Yep. to rectify it. So that's that's not only, um, you know, disadvantaging the employee, but it's also, you know, going to have a detrimental, detrimental effect, on the, effect on the employer and the operations of the business because any person that knows anything about domestic violence knows that that sort of stuff doesn't get fixed up in 10 days. No. So what no. happens after 10 days? I mean, I can understand, you know, domestic violence is appalling, absolutely appalling and i'll have my own views on how it should be handled but um you know there's there comes a point in the time in in time and and a balancing act where the employer needs to go look i'm really sorry that you're that you're going through this but i'm trying to keep x number of other employees in work and i'm keeping the business you know the business moving forward and and you know even keeping you in a job but i i can't you know, there's got to come a time where it's where the employer's got to say, "I'm sorry, but I can't continue to to support this." Mm. Like, I'm really sorry this is happening to you, but 
they're trying to run a business. So the balancing act, I just don't think they've taken into account at all that the balancing act that the employers will need to do as well as the employees because the employee is going to have to deal with the domestic violence issues and then think, okay, well, hang on, am I going to have a job in 10 or 15 days when I come, when I come back, you know, or, you know, so they're going to always going to have that on their mind as well. I think it's just added an extra, you know, an extra point of stress for them. Mm. In all honesty, you know, you know, if, if I was an employer and, and one of my employees walked in and said, and said to me, you know, oh, you know, my, my husband's, you know, beating me. I'm having some, having some, you know, family issues at home that was fairly evident in their behaviours and everything like that. Um, that something was going on. I'd simply say to them, well, look, you need to take as much time. This is me talking. This is not going to be every employer, obviously. I would just say you take as much time as what you need to sort out your life and what you need to do. But I can only pay you for, for X number of days. There will be a job for you when you get back, I'll, and I'll do something to to cover the job. You know, we'll we'll make it work. But you know, to add the, I just think, as I said to you, I know I can understand the concept of it. I fully support it, but I just think it has just been a rushed dog's breakfast, and it is going to create more problems than what it actually fixes for both sides. You know, employers and employees, employees in particular. As I said to you, it's. Not too many bosses are going to sit there and wonder what's happening to their their employee. Um, in all honesty, that's just the way the world is. But mm. every single employee that's on it is going to be sitting there going, "Am I going to have a job when when I've got when I've gotten through this to the other side? Am I going to have a job?" And I I just I just don't think that the government has thought through those details, which in all honesty are a hell of a lot more important details than making sure they get paid for ten days. Yeah, and I mean. I mean, okay, uh, you know, just continuing on with that one a little bit. Let's say it's it's a sixteen, seventeen year old kid that comes to work and says, "Oh, mum or dad's touching me up," or or whatever. Yeah. Okay. You know, the business can give them. I mean, but then what's ten days going to do off for someone that's not old enough to to drive a car? And then on that, now that that's been reported to the workplace, what responsibility does the workplace have to report that to you know law enforcement or other yeah, authorities? Exactly. Because they're underage. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's just an, yet another one of those things that uh, the union movement has put up and yeah. not thought it through and decided, hey, this is good. No. We'll get a couple of votes out of this, and and you know we'll get a couple more members, and it'll give us a, um, a, a you know an well, arguing point. Yeah, an organising opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I don't think I don't, I don't think people realise that um, unions are a business. Yes. They're plain and simple. Yes. Their, their, their business is to sign people up under the guise of protection and have them pay a subscription fee to be able to access that protection when they uh, when or if they actually need it um, in the workplace. That's their job. Yep. That's it. They don't produce a product. They provide us a service um, when they when they think that they can or when they think it's um, necessary because I bet there's a lot of union members that are out there that are particularly in the last couple of years that have gone to a union for help and been told no um, and yeah and also you know discounts on white goods and private health insurance yeah yeah, yeah. so um, yeah it's look you know as like you said it's 
it's just been something that was dreamt up in a room and 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 pushed for and uh, like like anything um it's been marketed to the public as this fantastic step forward and look it is it, look and as i said to you I, I i understand the concept of it and i fully support um fully support the concept of it but there needs to be a hell of a lot more clarification um, around how it's applied in the workplace for employers and employees, and that should be written. That should be put into legislation as well, because it's it's not fair on an employer to be you know to be told you have to give people domestic violence leave, and they go, well, how do I do that? And they'd be told, well, we don't know. It's just in the legislation that you have to do it. You go work out your policy. Just make sure that policy doesn't conflict with our legislation. Mm. And then you then you read the legislation and go, God, there's more holes in this than a bloody lump of Swiss cheese. Mm. So how do I how do I write a policy and 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 enforce that policy in the workplace when the legislation gives me bugger all to work with? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an you know. I, I, I do hate to say it, I think with regards to this and, and the next topic we're going to talk about, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years um, and I have a feeling that if this goes bad and it is likely to go bad in a terrible way yeah. that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I doubt anyone's going to put their hand up and, and take responsibility for how screwed up this is going to be. Um, no. no. For that. So the next thing, um, we're obviously talking about um, – uh, third-party organisations uh, dreaming things up for the purposes of recruiting members and retaining members. So, what do you think about the industry-wide bargaining uh, that oh. you know that's <laughs> going to come out? Um, you, know, uh, you mean you mean the uh, re- rebadged, uh, renamed patent bargaining? Wow! Hey, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, patent bargaining. I thought that was a big no-no. Um, but I mean. So that, well, that was that was that was you know, you know the name that shall not be spoken. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, once again, um, it's it's just something that was. Uh, it, it's always been on. It's always been on the union movement's mind. They've always they've always wanted it. They've always wanted to be able to, um, you know, get uh, a foothold industry wide because a lot of the, particularly the blue collar unions obviously. You know, there are smaller employers that they just can't get into. Um, but with the help of um, with the help of the renamed patent bargaining, um, they will be able to to get you know get their claws into those employers. Because um, yeah, well, like I said, you know, they're they're a business mm. and they're in the business of signing people up, signing people up to a subscription. How do they do that? They make it. They either force employers to have uh, agreements with them, which basically allows them to ingratiate themselves into the into the workplace. And you know, even if uh, out of our uh, you know 100 employees, they only get 10. Well, that's 10 members. That allows them to come into the workplace and 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 do what they they need to do. And they get 10 lots of uh, 10 lots of fees every year. So you know, it's it's. Once again, uh, it's going to be really entertaining to to watch how that um, how that how that actually plays out in the next couple of years because I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot, particularly the bigger guys that actually can afford to um, push back uh, on it um, if they're 
HR and IR teams are um, have got actual backbones, they mm. should put back on it. Mm. Um, you know, if you know, if if the employees want a union to represent them, well, that's fine. They can represent their interests. That's what they're entitled to do. And and some employees need uh, representation in the workplace. Um, but if they're going to come in and start saying this is how you will run your business. We're telling you how to run it. We're, you know, sorry, but if it was my business and somebody, a third party came in telling me how to run it and telling me what I had to do, or what I should be doing, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, it'd be like, buddy, you've got 10 seconds to get out of my office or I'm going to be calling something that somebody that's going to physically remove you from it. You know, it's, it's just, it's just once again, like the, like the DV, it's just legislation that's been slapped together um at in the in the 11th hour and it's going to it's going to wreak havoc on on industries in on industries that are already suffering you know these blue the blue collar unions think that they think that it's a, that, that it's a good thing okay yeah mm. okay you think it's a good thing but at the end of the day I, I don't think they realize in all honesty the negative impact that that's going to have on a lot of employers to try and force that down, you know, to force that on them, and that's basically what it is. It's forcing it on them, and and that's my thing. My my concern is that you know, like the um, the domestic violence leave that we we're talking about before can be exploited. I have you know, my biggest concern is is that you know, if this becomes law, that this is going to be exploited by um, you know less scrupulous third party organisations or even. Uh, big business that want to push competition out, uh, you know. And oh, yeah, look, definitely. When I had a rant about it, I mean, what's to stop Coles and Woolies joining together saying, hey, yep, we want industry-wide bargain, you know, an industry-wide agreement that's going to rope in your local IGAs, it's going to rope in depending on how they define uh, the, the retail space, it could rope in, you, you know, your 7-Eleven, it could rope in your, um, yeah. your, your Coles Express or, or something like that. Um, yeah. Yes, Coles Express, you know, they've got the buying power to be able to do that, but your 7-Eleven and your IGAs won't have the, uh, you know, the ability to pass on those increases, uh, no. you know, wage increases to, you know, to, to, the, to the products that, that they're selling, won't be able to pass that on to the consumer without the consumer turning around and saying, hey, you know, why should I pay $9 for a loaf of bread here when I can go and get the same loaf of bread at Woolies for $4? Because yeah. Woolies has the buying power and they're able to, um, you know, um, exert um, undue market pressure on yeah. suppliers to get that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's exactly. A thing. I, I I think that um, you know, it, it, it's not going to be good. And my big concern is is that uh, you know, all these organisations getting outside of, of industrial relations and all that sort of stuff. All these groups are turning around saying that they're opposed to fascism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, this is exactly what fascism is. It's it's the government and private enterprise working together to control what yep. happens. Yep. Oh, look, I, I I always I always laugh when a um when a, when a socialist screams fascism. It's it's like, are you serious? 
you, you did that word just come out of your mouth or are you actually not paying attention to what you're actually doing um yeah it's oh, I always have a little bit of a chuckle now i used to get angry about it and try and confront them but now i just sit back and laugh and i think well if you're that ridiculously stupid um no amount of fact is ever going to change your way of thinking so i'll just let you sit there and stew in your own juice while i have a bit of a laugh um yeah, look, it's like you said, the the ability for big business who can absorb uh, absorb those uh, the costs and you know has the structure within their business to um, mitigate you know the impact um, of patent bargaining. Um, you know, it's it, it is it is going to be perfectly fine with it, and it, it's going to be the little guys. It's going to be um, you know the 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 small to medium businesses. Um, that eventually that that will suffer and and eventually you know die a death. I mean, if people thought the you know the coup and the and the lockdowns were bad, just wait until this sort of nonsense takes hold. Um, you know, there's supply chain issues and and everything now that are, that are, that are only going to get worse. 2023 is going to be one hell of a ride, and I hope everybody's buckled up, ready to ready to rock and roll because we haven't seen it yet. Like the shortages and everything haven't haven't reached Australia yet. Mm. Um, and they, but they will next year and combine that with this sort of nonsense. Um, yeah, you'll be going to, you'll be, you'll have to go to Coles and Woolies and, and Woolies and Coles and Woolies will go, you know what, we could sell this bread for four bucks, but you know, bugger it, we're going to sell it for nine because mm. we don't have any competition. You want the bread? It's nine bucks. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll see, you'll see it by the end of next year, you'll see record profits for the big boys You'll see deep, like you'll see closed small to medium businesses, and you will see a, a definite line in the sand between rich and poor. Yeah, there will be a definite line. You, if and if tell you what, if if you if you can't see it, you're cooked. You're fully cooked. Because mm. I mean, you, you can see it now. Like I walk through Aldi and I see, I see pensioners with the most minimal amount of groceries, um, and they and they you know, they're looking at prices and. Like they're not shopping the way that they used to. Like they're really watching every penny that they've got. Um, and then you see the other people walking in and they just grab they just grab stuff off shelves. You know, they're not worried about it. Oh yeah, two hundred fifty dollars for you know three bags of groceries. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, here's my credit card. Yep. You know, so you can see it. I well, I can see it now. And but. By next year, as I said to you, combine all that, all those issues with now the the ability for for unions and governments to be able to dictate to businesses, you know, on a on a um, uh, you know, on a, a a business a business level, on an operational level, that you know you must you must do this and you must do that and everything. It's like I said, it's going to kill those small to medium businesses and people who, you know, people who don't like Coles and Woolworths. Well, you know, buckle up because they're probably only going to be one of a handful of ones that are actually left operating. And, and, and that, that's exactly right. That's it's, it's going to happen. Um, You're not going to have the food works in the IGAs because they're just going to die a slow, natural, painful death. Yep. Which you know creates its own challenges because you're putting what you know for every IGA that closes you're potentially what let's say putting maybe fifty people out of work. Where oh, are those where are those fifty yeah, fifty to hundred people yeah. go? Where do they go? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. 
You will eat the bugs. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. I will sell you the bugs. And but <laughs> I mean, and and this is you know like it, it bugged me in in the the lead up to the federal election and even the, the state election in Victoria. No one's talking about that stuff. Um, no, you know it, it's all pie in the sky bullshit things about building hospitals and and digging tunnels that. You know, in, in all reality, will not help the population. It's just to no. push money to China. No, um, not at, yeah, not at all. I mean, uh, yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, I we we complain pretty regularly up here about infrastructure and stuff like that. But I look at it and I go, you know what? I'm quite prepared to sit on this road for an extra ten or fifteen minutes if I paid less for my groceries, mm-hmm. or if I walk, if I walked into the chemist, I paid less for my medicine. Or if I could actually get to see a doctor, yeah, you know, how hard is it? How hard is it now to get a bloody doctor's appointment to see a doctor? And when and when you do, they're more interested in making sure that you've got your mask on and you maintain your fifteen feet. And rah, but, you know, it's like stop, stop the stop the useless crap. Stop putting money into the into the useless crap. Yes, you know what the roads are crap. The, you know you, we need the, we need a new bridge here. This tunnel will be fantastic. Fantastic. It'll cut six minutes off my drive time. Big goddamn deal. Right at the moment. Right at the moment, we need food and energy security. Yep. We need we need a proper health systems. Now, if any state premier be it Liberal or Labor, comes out and blames the previous federal government for the state of their health systems, oh, my God, Mm. are you dead set serious? Yep. Dead set serious. Do people actually believe that the federal government wrecked the Queensland health system or the Victorian health system? No, it was your state Labor premiers. Yes. Same as in New South Wales, the New South Wales health systems. Well and truly cooked. Yeah. It was the Premier of New South Wales that did it. Like the buck stops at the states for the health systems. Mm. So then they go off on the tangent, oh, we didn't get enough money. Well, I don't know. How much money did, La- did Labor spend on getting the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here in, here in, here in Queensland. Yeah. Look that figure up. I've, I've given up telling people. I'm, I, I try and make people go looking for it themselves. But, you know, it's just – the budget, you know, all, all the all the wedded on Labor supporters loved the budget, thought it was fantastic. Okay, that's great. Might have been fantastic for sick people and and parents who have kids in childcare. I got nothing out of it. Mm. Oh, actually, hang on a minute. I did get something out of it. I need to work longer and pay more tax to fund it. Yeah, yep. That's what I got out of the budget. I didn't get anything else. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, like, I just think the government's priorities, and I don't care what side of, I don't care what side of government you're on, whether it be the right or the left, whatever, it's the same goddamn bird. They're equally as incompetent as yep, each other. The uni party. Uh, yeah. It's like and the it's, old IR club. They pretended to have fights against each other just to keep, to justify their own right. existence, and it just keeps the machine going. Yeah. It's, for the love of God, people need to stop being wedded to one political ideology. Yep. That's what creates all these sort of problems. The, the DV leave, the, the patent bargaining, the problems with the supply chain, energy. You know what? Like electric vehicles. I'd love it. I'd have a Tesla. No worries. 
you give me a Tesla. You give me a Tesla that'll tow two tons for 600 kilometers and, and recharge itself. Mm. No, oh, it doesn't do that. Oh, I've got to plug it into the grid that's powered by, powered by coal fire. Oh, I can't have coal fire. I've got to have solar and wind. Okay, no worries. Um, I looked up an off-grid solar system um, the other day. Starting price was ten grand for an off-grid solar system. Mm. And, and then forty thousand dollars for an electric vehicle that doesn't do what my petrol vehicle does. So on, on that right. note, electric vehicles. Okay, so we can't drive internal combustion engines. We have to go to this stuff. Okay, that's fair enough. You know. Mm. Technology yep. will improve and, you know, that will be the way to go. Yep. In the yep. meantime, you know, the, the union movement has been uh, very strongly opposed to children working um, for as long as I've known, ever since, you know, for, for however long it is, and yet oh, yeah. they don't arc up about the child labour in the Congo for digging all these rare earth minerals out. They don't care about child labour and slave labour. The Uyghurs building your solar panels and your batteries in China. They don't mm. care about, um, you know, we're funding China for a start, an ideological enemy to the West. They don't care about the fact that these blades and these batteries are not recyclable so that they have to go to landfill. They don't yeah. care about all this stuff and yet supposedly, clean, you know, green energy is clean and renewable. Well, it's not renewable. No. If the they sun doesn't they. shine, it doesn't go. Just the same as if you don't put coal or nuclear rods into the reactor, it doesn't go. So it's not renewable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they don't they don't factor in that factor in that when the uh, battery in the electric vehicle needs replacing, it's about twenty five grand mm. average. Yep. Or um, so, on that. Yes. Yeah, um, so I've got a cop out. I've got to cough up, you know, average forty thousand dollars for a half decent EV that does what I need it to do, and then a few years down the track, I've got to pay half the cost of the vehicle again to to get a new battery put in. If even if the battery is even available to be put into it, mm. I'm sorry, but my car, my battery costs two hundred bucks. Mm. If if the engine blows up in it, I can get a brand new – my particular vehicle, I can get a brand new engine in the crate never used for two and a half grand. Yeah. And I've got an alternator on the, that runs on the vehicle that charges the battery as I'm driving. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, but, yeah, I mean it, – I'm not against – look at this look, – look at, put it this way. I'm not against an electric vehicle. I'm not against solar and wind power. But the 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 rapid the rapid push happening right now for Australians to to have renewables is is unachievable, unsustainable, and to be perfectly honest with you, ridiculously stupid. Mm. You know, the protesters gluing their hands to crap like that. Do you do that in China? Because you know, China and India are the biggest freaking uh, producers of, you know, of, of pollution in the world. China, they're both building, they're both building more coal fire, coal fire powered power stations to power their industries. Mm. But I'm here in Australia, I'm expected to basically live in the 1800s, and that's what's going to be like. I just don't think people quite fathom that. The, the ridiculous rapid push for us to do it here in Australia is going to have a significantly detrimental effect to people. 
You know, I mean, our power bills are going to go by, you know, go up fifty percent yep. by next year. Yep. Really? Yeah. I mean, and that's Why? the thing. No one's Why? been able to, to to tell me how many people are they prepared to die to bring in this this yeah. um, ideological position, and, and that's what it is. Yeah, people people are already having to make the decision: Do I eat or do I keep the lights on and light, uh, the heat and the heat on? Mm. Yeah, you know, do I pay my power bill or do I buy food? What's it going to be like by the end? Re- realistic. What's it going to be like by this time next year? Yeah. You know, or Europe. You know, once again, you don't hear this in mainstream media, and but you know, when I tell anybody, oh, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I love that term. Um, Europe is already in the grips of a of an energy crisis now. Yeah. You know, there are literally going to be. Uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people freeze to death in Europe this winter. Yep, because they can't get energy to warm their houses. It's plain and simple. Like, I just, I, I, it just boggles the mind that people don't understand and can't comprehend and can't do the most basic of research. It's all there on the internet. The government hasn't stopped every single web page from. Um, from posting factual information. So just go out, find it, read it, understand it. You know, the push for renewables here is just going, it's going to kill industry. It, it is going to kill people. It's, mm-hmm. just plain, it's just plain, it's plain and simple. That's what it's going to do. Yep. I mean, people probably aren't going to like hearing that and probably think I'm, think I'm a nut and, and think it's never going to happen. But there's been people freeze to death in their houses already over the last few years, you know? People that have been that can't afford electricity in their houses, so they're running freaking gas heaters in their house, and they, uh, they, they you know, they get poisoned. Mm. Mm. And, but, they and, die. and then they the, die. They're trying to keep warm. The other thing on that one too is who's going to power the hospitals? Like you know, and, and that's the thing. You know, to be clear, I, you know, I'm not opposed to solar and, and all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, I do believe that every house should have its own solar grey water system and all that sort of oh. stuff for for decentralisation. But yeah, though definitely. that stuff should be used as a supplementary thing um, yeah. rather than primary, just like your airbags, you know, the SRS yeah. on your airbag is supplementary restraining system. You don't run around without a seatbelt on, you have, you know, and just say, oh, the airbag's going to stop me. We shouldn't yeah. just be relying on yep. wind and, and solar and all that sort of stuff yeah. um, exactly. for that. But, you know, what, what's going to happen with the hospitals? You know, their, their power is running 24-7. Yeah. It's not like there's a highs and lows, but you know, there's Every, could you could you imagine the, the the battery storage required? Yeah, in hospital. Yeah, it, look, in all honesty, I've been saying I've been saying it for a long time, years. You want to um, you want to de- de- decrease the carbon footprint of the country. You want to you want to use less energy and be more you know environmentally friendly here in Australia. Turn off all the goddamn lights in the high-rise buildings at night where there's nobody freaking in them. Mm. Like you drive, the cities are lit up like candles. Yeah. Why? Do, why are they all be on? I mean, I've, I've spoke. You know, Sparkies have said, "Oh, you know, it takes more energy to turn the lights back on." Blah blah blah. It's like, does it take as much energy to turn the lights back on as what it does leaving them on for twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week when there's nobody in there? Like I, I, I don't, you know, and nobody can answer me. Nobody mm. can answer. Like one one high rise building in the city with nobody in it, nobody working in it. One o'clock in the morning, lit up like a Christmas tree. Every, the lights on every floor are on. Are you telling me that if you turned off all those lights in that entire building, 
it would actually take more energy to turn them back on than what it's actually using for all those lights to stay on. Are you, you know, are you serious? Because mm. in all honesty, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. So, as you know, so you want to do things like that. Like I, you know, there's just so many other things that we could be doing to, to little things like every household, every, every residential suburban household could do, you know, to, to decrease the carbon footprint that mm. they keep crapping on with other than saying to people, you know, like these idiots in Canberra, what was it? What year have they said, though, you can't drive a petrol car into the. Uh, 2030. Yeah. You know, crap like that. Oh, you know, we're going to, you know, all the car manufacturers going, oh, we're going to phase out all our petrol. We're going to go all electrical. Like it's just, it's just too much too quick unnecessarily. And, and I just don't think they quite grasp the concept of what that rapid push is going to do to people. Mm. But, but once again, I think it'll be a case of you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Exactly. There'll be the uh, electric vehicle owners driving around thinking that they're saving the world and there'll be people riding horses and, and pedaling push bikes. Yep. Versus there'll be no more fuel because the government will have said, we're not going to produce any more fuel. You can't put fuel in your cars. So basically my, my car's now a paperweight and then I'll just sit there and I'll have to ride a bike or walk. Yep, and, and way back but with my, the Great Depression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, oh, look, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, you know, I've kind of given up a little bit and I'm kind of looking forward to it because mm. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just don't seem to think they quite fathom what the fallout is going to be. Yeah, I know. I was, I was uh, always hoping zombies, you know, so we could do the I Am Legend or, oh, or something like that. Yeah. I always thought it was going to be zombies. but Yeah, well, I was bitterly disappointed by that, mate. I'll tell you that mm. right now. But anyway, I, I think it's going to be a um, – yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, remember, I don't know whether you watched the TV show Revolution. Um, it got a bit weird at the end, but um, there was uh, basically all the power went off. No, it didn't all watch the power went, all the, yeah, 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 Google it. It had, um, oh, I forget the actor's name, but yeah, it's called Revolution, but the, the, the power went off around the world. Everything turned off. Vehicles, everything, and, and it did, didn't come back on. So basically there was, um, there was just this basically uh, a descent back into the, 1800s mm. <laughs> you know um so yeah it was uh, i think i think that's probably what more than likely is going to happen you're going to have people the rich people in their evs living in the cities and the poor people living out in the country i'm quite happy to be, i'm quite happy to live out in the country yeah give me a horse <laughs> yeah. but don't um don't come out to my um don't come out to my country house expecting a warm reception yeah yeah in your electric vehicle, <laughs> yeah, if it makes it that far, yeah, exactly. On the on the dirt road, you'll probably knock a knock a terminal off the battery, and that'll be the end of it. They'll probably rock up to my joint with a, and ask if I can use their use use my horse to pull their car off the dirt road. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, look, I mean that sort of thing. It's it's going to be a case of wait and see, isn't it? It is. It is, and uh, I just think it's I just think it's I just think it's stupid. But hey. You know, like like I said, it's just a wait and see thing, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's the thing. You know, I, I did say that the last state uh, federal election was one of the most important ones. Uh, I'm still firmly of the view that this Victorian election is probably uh, the most important one in Australia's future. 
um, mainly for the reason that if the Andrews regime is voted back in again, um, whether Andrews is at the helm or not, uh, it's going to send a message to all the other Labor dictators that, hey, this is what the people will accept, this is what the people will put up with, let's go. Let's see how far we can push next time. Um, right. And, and and it's the thing is yeah it, it's yeah it, it, it's something that, that there needs to be a message sent to the uni party and I think we're we're running we're running out of time to do it yeah yeah oh look if Dan gets if Dan if Dan gets back in oh, there's there's no doubt whatsoever that you lived in you live in probably one of the most uh, one of the most cooked states in Australia yeah <laughs> yeah oh no I mean you know fully fully agree with that I mean um, yeah. you know it, it's yeah, you know, talk about fascism and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the state controls every part of your life. Um, I think, I, look, in all honesty, I think when he accidentally fell down the stairs, um, he should have been subject to a um, to a to a, a mental assessment. To be honest with you, I'm mm. going to say it outright. I, I don't think he's mentally fit. He and he hasn't been mentally fit for for a long time mm. to, to lead the state. Um. Yeah, I would. I would have liked to have seen him be um, be assessed mentally in in public eye, not behind closed doors, because he's paid by the public. Um, and I'd like to see some. I'd like to would have liked to have seen some drug tests. Yeah, yeah. To be honest. Yeah, but you know that'll never happen. Probably, you've probably got a few. You've probably got a few listeners listeners that have just gone. <gasps> My God, I don't believe you said that. It's like, well, I'm going to say it outright. I couldn't give a rat. Yeah. Like, it's he's mentally unfit. You can just you can see it. Mm. You can see it, and oh. he should have had he should he should have been subjected to drug tests. Yep, and and we know with his whole trip down the stairs, <laughs> someone's lied somewhere. It's either the ambulance and and the police have lied, or him and his missus <laughs> have lied because the two stories oh. don't match up. No. I, I can tell you exactly what happened, mate, but I'm not going to uh, <laughs> going to broadcast that on your uh, on your podcast. And I know exactly what happened because I've spoken directly to people face to face that were there. <sighs> so I know I know exa- I know exactly what happened, and that's why I say he should be subjected to a mental men- mentally mental fit assessment, a psychological assessment, mm. and a drug test. Mm. And we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yep. I think I think we will do leave it at that one. So anyway, <laughs> on, on that note, um, mindful of the time, uh, getting a bit long now. So I think we might wrap this one up. But uh, if you're up yeah. for it, we'll invite you again in again. Yep. Um, yeah, hopefully, I'm, I'm happy to happy to chat any time. You know that. Not so much of a of a gap between it um, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, as per usual, I'll get my people to talk to your people, and and we'll see what goes on. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that my people are are, um, are available. Yep. That they're uh, that they're not off on on leave somewhere, and <laughs> or you know, caught on stuck on the side of the road with a petrol generator charging their electric vehicle. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, Mister Castle, thanks for joining. No worries, no worries uh, mate. I'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya. For listening to this episode of the Fifth Estate, the news behind the headlines. Until the next episode of The Fifth Estate releases, we'd love for you to leave a review wherever you go to for quality podcasts. And we'll keep holding those in power in check.